tonight is relationships, and uh, that is always a fun discussion, a fun thing to talk about and talk through, and uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about this idea of relationships, and uh, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, and then spend some time in chapter 27, and I think chapter 17, and uh, we're just going to see what we can glean tonight from this. So starting in Proverbs chapter 3 tonight, in verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. What a good couple of verses. There's a lot of meat in there. And we're going to talk about relationships from this passage and and other passages as well. But let's have a word of prayer and just ask God's blessing on our time together. God, we thank you for this evening. We do pray, God, that you would help us to um, have an open heart and open mind as we think through this idea of relationships, as we think through um, the the gift that relationships are. God, I pray that we would steward them well, that we would use them uh, for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that our desire would be um, to see our relationships grow and flourish and become more Christ-like. And certainly, as, as we think about our own relationships, God, we could all admit that we have some relationships somewhere that may not be what it should be. But God, I pray through your grace, uh, through your spirit, and through your word, God, that we could see those relationships transformed and they could be uh, relationships that are, are stronger than they've ever been, uh, that are useful in our lives, that are encouraging. God, I just pray that you'd help us tonight uh, to, to find comfort Um, to be challenged, and to take away what you would have us to take away from these passages. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to read those verses again. It says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart, so thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Uh, Good favor comes, Solomon says, when we live in the fear of the Lord, as we looked at last week, and our relationships will be better Uh, and stronger when they're founded on these two concepts of mercy or love and truth. Uh, Can you really think of a better foundation for a relationship to be built on? Mercy and truth. Those are two values that the Bible would uphold uh, throughout the the Bible as a whole as we think of uh, different relationships that God has given us in his word to examine and study and learn from. Uh, Mercy and truth are our concepts or our values that are in each of those relationships, and they make those relationships stronger. Uh, One thing that probably comes to our mind when we think about this idea of relationships is that sometimes relationships are a struggle. Anybody ever been there? Uh, Whether it's it's a personal relationship with a a spouse or a child, uh, maybe it's a a relationship with somebody at work, uh, maybe it's a relationship with somebody that you've just counted a friend. And as time goes on, we know that relationships change and relationships uh, go through times of, of mountain peaks and they go through times of valleys. Uh, but every relationship at some point is going to struggle, and if, you, if you've never seen that before, um, then you haven't been in a relationship with me, right? So I, I can make a relationship struggle. If you want to experience that, just come see me afterwards, and uh, we, can, we can try this out and see if, how it works for you. Um, but, but there's no perfect relationship on this earth. Uh, every relationship, because it's, it's combined of or made up of humans, as Bruce always says, that's why marriage is hard, right? Because you have one sinner marrying another sinner. It's the same with friendships. It's the same with work relationships. Uh, every relationship is going to struggle uh, because we all still fight that sin nature. We all still fight that fleshly side of things. But as Solomon writes Proverbs, as he writes many of the problems that were, Proverbs that we're going to look at tonight, uh, we see that he gives us some, some input or some insight into relationships, 
and, and hopefully it'll be a help to us. Uh, Proverbs deals a lot with, doing, uh, with this idea of doing life with others. Now, a lot of what Proverbs deals with is, is parent and child relationships or spouse relationships, um, but it does also deal with, with relationships between friends or uh, just relationships in general. And so if we're going to turn to a book of the Bible that could give us wisdom, probably be wise to turn to the book of wisdom and uh, look to what's, see what Solomon has to say about these things. Um, Solomon addresses, as we know, his thoughts mainly as he's writing to young men. But the principles that he puts into play here or, or, plays, uh, or shows to us uh, will be helpful to each of us as we think about the relationships that we have. He writes here of, of having mercy and truth bound around our necks. What would it look like to constantly live in a place where your life is guided by mercy and truth? That's a, that's a good combination to have, right? Because it balances one another out. If you have a relationship that is only truth, um, then you're probably going to say right things, but you might not always say them in the right way, Right? And we've all been in those scenarios where we know what we said was true and we don't necessarily have to apologize for what we said, but maybe we have to apologize for how we said it or when we said it. But the other side of that is, is that people would want relationships that are just mercy. Well, what's a relationship of just mercy? Basically, you would then be affirming or coddling somebody along even in their sin, in their wickedness. But when you have a relationship that's built on mercy and truth, then you'll know what to say and you'll know when to say it. You'll know what words need to be spoken and you'll know how to speak them. And so Solomon says, bind these things around your neck. Write them upon the table of your heart because these two things, these two principles are going to transform your life and they're going to transform the, the lives of those whom you have a relationship with. One relationship that I'm quick to run to in my mind um, that maybe I need to do a better job of this and everyone's thinking, your marriage, your marriage, your marriage. We know what you say about Brianna from the pulpit, your marriage. It's my kids. Uh, anybody else with kids always want to run to truth instead of mercy? This, this is what you know is right. This is what I've told you. This is how you need to act. And if you don't act this way, there's consequences for it. But how many of us understand that as, as God deals with us as children, it's a, it's a relationship that is built on mercy and truth? that he does reveal to truth to us. And sometimes truth is difficult to speak. It's difficult for us to receive. But doesn't God do it in a merciful way? God's desire in speaking truth to us is always to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Truth sometimes could, could have the, the power to sever a relationship. I have to speak a, a, a harsh truth to you, and the person who receives it because of the way it's spoken may say, I don't want to listen to anything else you have to say. Now, that's a problem that they have to deal with. But as the speaker of truth, I have to make sure that my words are, are mixed with mercy so that they can understand where I'm coming from and why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. And so as I think about my relationship with my children, especially um, the older children and maybe the oldest child, I won't even speak his name. Uh, you, you can guess his name if you want to. But there, he's waving his hand back there. Um, there are, there are many times where maybe we have to have a harsh conversation and afterwards God has a conversation with me and says, Dan, you said the right thing, but you didn't say it in the right way. You, you told him what was true, but you didn't show him what was true in love. And what is God doing to me in that moment? He's speaking the truth with mercy. He's not, he's not casting me out of the family. He's not 
disciplining me to the point of, of not wanting a relationship with him any longer, but he's, he's subtly speaking to my heart and saying, Dan, there's a better way to do these things. And so as we think about having relationships in life, uh, we know they're all going to struggle. We, all, we know that, that they're, they're going to be a challenge, but we have to live with this idea of mercy and truth uh, wrapped around our necks and written upon our hearts. And when we do live in this way, we'll, we'll have the compassion of Christ that we talked about this morning. Uh, if we think to the disciples' response to the crowd, they wanted the crowd to go away. And what did Jesus say? No, let's feed them. First, let's teach them. I know we're supposed to be on vacation, but let's take time to be with these people, and then let's feed them and give them the things that they need. And that's, that's the example that Christ sets for us, and hopefully that's how we will, will strive to pursue um, a, a better relationship with the people that God has allowed us to have a relationship with. And so we're going to look at three principles um, kind of wrapped up in this idea of, of mercy and truth that should hopefully help us when it comes to the relationships that God has allowed us to have. First off tonight, this isn't one of my points, but do you recognize that the relationships God has given you are a gift? They truly are. Even the hard relationships are a gift. Even the relationships that are taxing are a gift. The relationships where where your patience is tried, they're a gift because God is using you to refine the person that you're in a relationship with, but guess what? you also have some refining that needs to happen in your life as well. And so God is using that person to refine you. And so if we can, if we can navigate these relationships with mercy and truth, uh, we'll both be better for it. So Proverbs 27, 6 is where we're going to begin. And the first principle uh, that, that I want to lay out tonight and hopefully will be a help to us is that in relationships, we need to be bold. In relationships, we need to be bold. In verse number 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Who's heard that verse before? Who's had to meditate on that verse before? Maybe when you've had words spoken to you that were sharper than you think you deserved in the moment. Um, Who's ever gone to somebody and say, faithful are the wounds of a friend? I'm going to wound, no, hopefully not, right? Hopefully that's not been our attitude. Uh, But but Solomon, or the writer of this proverb, is telling us to be bold. Uh, in In relationships, there are times when truth has to be spoken, and while none of us desire to speak hard truth um, when somebody is going down the wrong path. If we're in a relationship with somebody that is going down a wrong path, then it's our, our, it should be our desire to speak to them in those times of need. Now, I'll be the first to admit, and if you know me, you already know this, I hate confrontation. I will avoid it like the plague. I'll, I'll pretend I'm sick so I don't have to have a hard conversation, right? Um, unless it's with my kids, and I'm happy to have them all day long. But to another adult, to somebody that I love and respect, to somebody that I don't want to hurt, um, confrontational relationships, they, they, for lack of a better term, they freak me out. They, they set me on edge. I always think that, that I'm going to say something wrong, so therefore it's going to be received wrong, and then the relationship is going to be broken. But as this proverb is given to us, he says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm sure we've all been in a scenario before where somebody has had to wound us, not out of of malice or hatred, um, not out of of envy or jealousness, but they've had to speak hard truth to us to get us on the right path that we need to be on. If you've never been wounded by a friend, this this is probably going to wound you, um, but it might be that you don't have any true friends. If you've never had anybody that you've allowed to speak harsh things to you, 
then you need to navigate or look at your relationships. Because if every time somebody speaks harsh things to you, you say, well, you're just an enemy, and you push them away, and you don't take the words that they say to heart, then it's, it's in some ways showing that you have a problem with your heart. And so the, the proverb here is, faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, let's be honest. Would we rather have kisses or would we rather have wounds? Well, I saw two couples walking into church tonight, the Anairs holding hands coming in, and then uh, Gina and Kelly walking in under the same umbrella. And you can tell they don't want wounds in their relationships, right? They want those kisses. That, that seems like a better fit. But who's, who here would say that you've had to have your spouse wound you before to say something to you that maybe you don't want to hear in the moment? That's a gift. It's a gift, and it needs to be viewed as such. What's our first response when somebody seeks to wound us? Who do you think you are? How dare you speak that way to me? I'll be honest, I've had my kids wound me before. When they speak truth that is hard for me to hear, my first response is not always, wow, thank you for making me more like Christ, dear children of mine. <laughs> right? What's my first response? I'm the adult in the situation. Keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> that's, that's more fitting to who I am. But faithful are the wounds of a friend, those people that will come alongside you and help you and, and push you in the right direction with, with a desire to see you live. Maybe it's just a, a right and moral life by the standards of the world. Maybe it's pushing you to be more like Christ in an area where, where you haven't been conformed into his image yet. But the, the proverb here, the encouragement here, is that, that we need to be bold in our relationships. Now, we like the speaking part of this. If we have to be bold, we like the speaking part of this, right? We like to be bold towards others, um, but we also have to allow others to be bold to us. That we have to allow them to say things that are difficult for us to hear, difficult for us to process, uh, things that, that maybe are blind spots to us that maybe we've been ignoring for all our lives. To have somebody speak into your life about one of those things, if it's pointing you in the direction of Christ, then it is a very, very good thing. And we're called to embrace that. We're called to be thankful for that. If all you have is people in your life, if all I have is people in my life who are telling me that everything I'm doing is right, then I'm going to think I can never do anything wrong. Have you ever met a child that thinks they can do no wrong? Spend some time in children's church. Some of your children think they... No, I'm just joking. I'm not down there, so I don't know. But, but we've, we've all seen those kids. They have the answer to every problem. They have it all figured out. And it's because no one has ever been able to speak truth to them. The, the parents always capitulate to the child to give them what they want instead of correcting the child to get them back on the right path. And... Uh, I'm not a, a negative naysayer, doomsday type of guy, but I fear for the generations to come because we live in a world where people can't be corrected. If, if there are people in the world that should be able to be corrected, who should it be? It should be us as believers, that with humility we receive the wound of a friend because we understand they're trying to, to get us on the path that we need to get on. So the first, first admonition is to be bold. Uh, one illustration of this, and, and you can be thinking of illustrations of this, maybe hopefully from the Word of God, maybe you have one outside the Word of God, but turn to Galatians 2 with me. And uh, there's two pretty big personalities that, that dealt with this, and uh, it was received well, uh, at least in the end. If I can find Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is Paul writing to the church at Galatia, writing to them about about not being under the, the burden of the law, 
as far as, as, as being salvific, but he's, he's talking about the freedom and the grace they have in Christ. And he's talking about Peter here in verse number 11. He says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him, how? To the face. What does that sound like? Somebody who was willing to what? To wound a friend. If you know anything about the New Testament, Peter and Paul were two very big personalities. But there came something in Peter's life where he wasn't living in a godly way. He wasn't in immoral sin, but he was, he was catering to different groups of people. It goes on to tell us what was going on here. Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews uh, disassembled uh, likewise with him, insomuch that uh, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as, the, as do the Jews? Paul, was, maybe he could have done it in a better way, right? Paul wasn't perfect. Maybe they could have had a, a side conversation about this thing. But Paul says, I was stood into the face. And in front of them all, I said, Peter, why are you doing this? Before the, the people came from James, he said, you were eating everything you wanted to eat. When, then when the Jews came, you shirked back and, and acted like you were living under the law again. Peter, he says, if the gospel is true, then you're freed from these things. Do you know what, what Peter says about Paul later on? He's a beloved brethren. In, in 2 Peter, Paul, Peter is writing to a church, and, and it's when... Uh, I should have written down the reference, but when um, Paul writes things that are hard to understand, um, Peter says, hey, these things are hard to understand. But you know what? Paul's a beloved brethren. And so what happened? Paul stood up when something was going on that was not right, that could have been a stumbling block to people around him and said, hey, Peter, why are you doing this thing? I withstood him to the face. He wounded him, but it didn't break their relationship. I think it, in fact, made their relationship stronger because they... they they understood that they cared for one another and were willing to rebuke one another when they found themselves doing the wrong things. And so, first principle, be bold. Um, what are some scenarios maybe in the Bible where you can see this principle being played out of, of somebody rebuking somebody else in a godly way, in an upright way? Um, maybe an example in your own life of some time when somebody was bold to you or a time where you had to be bold to somebody. It's not a time to toot our own horns, um, but it is a time uh, just to give an example of what that looks like. Bruce. Nathan, when he came to David, yeah. Was Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, another excellent example of David was in sin. Nathan says, this is what's going on. And what does David say? Let's go get that guy. And what does Nathan say? David, you are that guy. You're the one who's done wrong. Um, Talk about a friendship. Some, somebody else, an illustration or example that you can think of. Annie. Yeah, that's a, a definite big one. Um, Peter, we would say he was almost the head disciple, right? He, he was the one that Jesus often turned to, and he was often the one with the biggest mouth. But who did Jesus give the keys to the kingdom to? Gave them to Peter. That relationship was reconciled and restored, and... Um, Jesus wounded Peter in that moment. 
Somebody else. Karen. Yeah. Yeah, that's an, another excellent illustration. And, and sometimes the wounding of a friend is to benefit the friend alone. Sometimes the wounding of a friend is to benefit a group of people as a whole, right? And that's the situation in Esther that many people were saved because Esther chose to stand up and do the right thing. Anybody else? Mickey, I almost called on you. You were scratching your head. I thought you were raising your hand. You have a personal family illustration that you want to share? <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So as we think about our relationships, um, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a fellow church member, maybe it's a, a pastor. Um, how, do we, how does this play out for us? How do we wound somebody faithfully? Doesn't that begin in your own heart? That before you speak words of truth to somebody, you have actually processed those words of truth in your own heart to see if what you're saying and how you're saying it is helpful, if it's, if it's needed, if it's kind. Kind words aren't always pleasant words. Kind words are truthful words. <laughs> And so how, how, how can we see this play out in our lives? How can we see it play out in our families? Um, I think for, for in one area, in, in two areas, that I'll use for an example, just in, in kids and a spouse, um, I'm thankful for the words of truth that my wife speaks to me. Um, I don't always like them. I really don't. But there are many times where she has helped me see that maybe my attitude or my actions or maybe even a motivation isn't what it should have been. And she can call me out on that. And just so you know, I do the same for her, lovingly and gently, of course. Um, and then the second one would be to my kids, that I, I am bold with my kids, but I'm not belligerent to my kids, right? There's a difference there. I'm bold with my kids to teach them truth, um, but I don't ever want to turn my kids off to the gospel of Jesus. I don't ever want them to think that the way that I do life is a way that they're never going to do life because they saw a hypocrite in dad. And so we have to, we have to check our own hearts, right? What does Jesus say? Before you, you cast out the log in somebody else's eye, you better check your own eye to see if there's even a speck there that you need to remove uh, because if, if you get in the wrong situation, somebody's going to make a pretty big deal out of that speck um, because they're not going to receive the, the words that you say with love. Somebody else, any thoughts on this verse? Any thoughts on this, this principle of... Wounding a friend versus the kisses of an enemy. Who likes to be told they're doing everything right? We all do. All of us do. But sometimes we need to hear those harsh words. So first principle, if we're going to have good relationships, uh, is to be, be bold. Um, be bold in how we speak, but also be bold in, in how we receive. Sometimes it takes boldness to see the truth about yourself. Um, and when, when somebody wounds us with words of truth, we have to be bold enough to see that. We have to be willing enough to see that. Turn now back to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, and we'll look at verse number 17. Another familiar verse that uh, we could probably go many other places 
um, but I decide, decided to stick with some that we know um, just because they are familiar. And I think because they're familiar, we'll think of them more. But Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So the first principle is be bold. And, and there's parts of that that we like. But in our boldness, the second principle would be to be faithful. Be faithful. A, a, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Um, true friends love through thick and thin. True friends love through, through deep trials. Uh, true friends love through deep hardships. Probably one of the best illustrations that we have of, of a true friendship would be Jonathan and David. Um, you imagine being Jonathan, that from a physical standpoint, you should have been the next king. He was the next in line, right, from his father. And yet God said, no, I've rejected um, Saul, and, and David is going to be the next king. And the Bible reveals to us that Jonathan loved David. Jonathan protected David. Jonathan helped hide David when his, when his own father was looking for him. And that shows how deep their friendship goes. There, there, there is liberal theologians who would want to say that Jonathan and David had a, a, a sexual relationship and a homosexual lifestyle. The Bible is just revealing what? What true friendship looks like. True friendship is intimate. True friendship, it, it really has no boundaries of, of, uh, or, or stopping points for love uh, from, a, from a, a helpful standpoint, right? That we're going to help you in any way and in every way that we can. And so uh, Jonathan lived out this verse to David. Be faithful. Again, the verse says, a friend loveth at all times. A friend loves even maybe when they have been mistreated by the friend that's loving them. That's what true friendship is. Again, we could see that example in, in Christ. Um, was betrayed by all and yet still loved all. His, his closest group, Peter, James, and John, Peter betrayed him it, with, with, with a kiss. He denied him. Or I'm sorry, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter denied him three times before he was crucified. And yet, who was it that initiated the conversation of reconciliation? It was Jesus. He came back to Peter. Why? Because a, a faithful friend loves at all times. We, we, have, we are quick to excuse the bad day that we are having and quick to, to not excuse the bad day that other people are having. Anybody else ever like that? If I have a bad day, I want everyone to accept that and understand it. And, oh, Dan's just having a bad day. But if somebody else is having a bad day, oh, they're on my nerves again. Can't they just get things together, right? So a faithful love or a faithful friend, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So this idea of loving at all times means that through thick and thin, that, that we're there for them. And this idea of, of uh, being born for adversity, this, this brother is not talking about a blood brother, but it's talking about something stronger. It's, it's, it's in the Christian church. We use the term brother because there's something thicker there. There's something deeper there than, than blood, right? Uh, you listen to guys that have spent any time in the military, and if they've gone on tour and they come back, what are those men to them? They're their brothers. Because why? They've faced difficult things together, and they've come back stronger for it. Um, Evan just had to change units in, uh, in, in the guard. And that's probably a tricky thing, right? To, to step out of one unit that you've done so much with and step into a, a new unit, you're kind of the outsider to begin with. But you've got you've to work your way in there. You've got to become a part of that brotherhood 
And, and when you are a part of that brotherhood, it's a special thing. And so this, this phrase that brother, a brother is born for adversity, uh, I kind of looked at this wrong growing up, is like, that just means we get to fight a lot, right? As, with, as, our, as brothers. And we fought a lot as brothers. But it's not, that's not what it's saying. A brother is there to be there, or a brother is born so that he can be there with you in the hardest of times. In the, the deepest of waters, that brother will never leave. And so the first admonition uh, in the Proverbs that we've looked at tonight is to be bold. The second one is to be faithful. Why, why do so many divorces happen? Why do so many friendships break? Why do so many um, parent-child relationships um, crumble? Why is it that, that we look at relationships in a throwaway manner in our world today? Because people have lost the concept of faithfulness. I'm faithful as long as I'm getting something out of this. But a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, says, I'm going to be there, be there with you even when you have nothing to give me in, re, in, in return. And so the, the second admonition there would, to be, would be to be faithful, to stick it out, to be there through thick and thin, to, to know that you have somebody to cling to and to call and to lean on, um, to, to know that you have somebody that you can depend on. Uh, that's a, that's a, a thing that we should value and it's the thing that we should strive to be for those in our lives that God has allowed us to have relationships with. If you say, hey, call me anytime, and then you never pick up the phone, do you mean it? If you say, I can help you in any way, but I won't help you like that, do, do we really mean it? And so if we're going to have a true relationship, a, a biblical relationship, whether it's in our, our marriage or with our kids or with a friend or with, with the people that God has allowed us to do life with, we have to strive to be faithful friends to them. Any thoughts on this idea of being a faithful friend? I'm not going to talk till somebody else talks. Yeah. Yeah. And for believers, the love that we have received is unconditional love. And so then that's the love that we're able to give. The, the world doesn't fully understand unconditional love because everything has a condition with it. Um, but in Christ, we understand conditional love. Do we, do we understand it fully at times? No. Do we live in it perfectly at times? No. But it should be something we strive to go back to to model our lives after. That's a, an excellent thought, unconditional love. Somebody else? Mickey. Absolutely. Until you go through hard stuff together. And um, I feel like God gives us some really special friends to help us through the really hard times in our life. Yeah. He, he certainly does. He, he manifests himself through those people time and time again. And we can see illustrations of that in the Bible, but it is a gift. Anybody else? Any thoughts on being faithful? Bruce? Absolutely. If the only time they show up is when they're trying to tell you what to do. Well, <laughs> that's a little hard to follow. Yeah. If there's somebody that you 
definitely. Somebody else? Any thoughts? Anybody have a faithful friend that you can call? Um, isn't that a gift? And, and a faithful friend doesn't mean that they, they live next door or that you see them all the time. I have some faithful friends that, that don't live in the state, right? Um, but I know I can call them. I know I can reach out when I need them. And a faithful friend's relationship is not built on um, the number of times you talk throughout the week. But again, it, it's really built on this idea of knowing that the other person is there for you. It's the type of friend that when you pick up the phone or when you see each other, you kind of pick up where you left off. And those are good friends to have. Those are, those are gifts that God gives. Now, is it nice to have faithful friends that do live close by? Certainly, because you can see them face to face and you can do life with them. Uh, but it doesn't have to be uh, those types of people. Any other thoughts on, on being a faithful friend? Annie? Yeah, it definitely is cruel. Definitely is cruel to, to be there, uh, to be present, right? To be present with them in those times of, of difficulty and trial. Um, no, that's good. Anybody else before we move on to the last one? Nikki. Definitely. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and then when you get together in a time like this, it's just rejoicing, right? It's, it's not a crisis that you're having to be there with each other through, which you don't mind doing, but it's just a time of rejoicing, going on, around and counting deer, right? And yeah. <laughs> riding golf carts. All right, the third principle back in Proverbs 27 is uh, verse number nine. And uh, it says this, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Um, now, I have to disagree with the proverb a little bit because since I was a kid, strong ointment and strong perfume just makes me sneeze. So it doesn't rejoice my heart when I smell heavy perfume. I can't wear cologne, well, probably because I can't afford good stuff. And secondly, because I just sneeze the whole time, I'd spend more on allergy medicine than I would on, on, what, uh, on what the cologne was worth. So but, but the proverb is, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. I'm going to say, um, mom and grandma's cooking 
makes the heart rejoice. The smell of mom and grandma's cooking makes the heart rejoice. That's better for me, and you'll probably tell when you look at me. Um, but, but what is he saying? There's, a, there's, there's a, a sweetness of a friendship that is like a smell that is pleasant. There, there's, there's a sweetness to a real relationship that brings great joy to your heart. If, if you uh, were to, to uh, smell a familiar smell from your childhood that brought back memories, your heart can be flooded with joy in the midst of, of dark waters, deep, deep valleys. The sight of somebody uh, who has been kind and faithful to you when you're in the middle of a difficult time causes your heart to swell up with great joy. And that's what he's saying here. Um, but he's, he's speaking not just of the sight or, or not just of being around somebody, but he's talking about hearty counsel. So, so is the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. What is hearty counsel? Good advice. It could be tough love. It, it could be words of encouragement. It could be um, uh, pointing you in a direction that you don't need, know you need to go in. And so there's a sweetness of relationship that, the, the, that Solomon is describing here that we would do well to pay attention to. Who, who in here knows that coexisting with somebody does not mean that you have a good relationship with somebody? Living in the same house with somebody does not mean that you're, you're in a good space. Um, passing each other in the hallway, trying not to touch shoulders, right? Because you don't want any contact with that person at all. That's not a good way to live life. And yet there are many people who live life in that way. Uh, uninvolved parents and distant children, that, that's not a good way to live life. Spouses going in di- different directions. Friends who only talk on a, on a negative basis I don't even know if I'd classify that as a friendship. But there's something special about the hearty counsel of a friend when they speak life into your life and you allow them to do that. Uh, breathing life into something you know, is, is a metaphor that the Bible would use when he created Adam. He formed man out of the dust of the ground, and what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Have you ever had somebody speak to you in such a way that breathed life to your soul? If you haven't, I feel bad for you. But it's an encouraging thing. It's something that we, we take advantage of. But the, the question that we should be asking is, I, am, I the, is I, am I the type of person that breathes life into the friendships that God has allowed me to have? Have you ever been the one to send all the encouraging texts and you get nothing in return? Now, if you do it with the right heart, if you get nothing in return and you're encouraging your friends, that's fine if you do it with the right heart. But isn't it also nice to be the recipient of a text sometimes that says, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I, I remember that this, this is a big day in your life. Something happened here 20 years ago, and I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you, that I'm cheering you on, that I'm, I'm encouraging you. And so the, the proverb is, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. How can we be life giving people. Well, Jesus gives us a principle in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How do you want to be treated? Now, the Bible is not a selfish and self-centered book that tells us we only look to get our needs met. And that's proven in this verse. Because Jesus is how you want to be treated, that's how you treat others. Not how you are treated, but how you want to be treated. 
How, how do you wish that people would speak to you? Then you speak that way to other people. Paul um, kind of touches on this in Romans 12, and you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage. Um, but starting in verse number one, we know this passage. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the step, the first step in seeing these things come to fruition that he's going to talk about in the next 20 verses begins with this idea of presenting your body, yourself as a living sacrifice, laying yourself on the altar. And then he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds that we can prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that we're to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And when we do, that's when we'll be able to prove or to live out or to make proof of what God's good will is in every area of life. He says in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So lay yourself on the altar so that you can live a good and godly life and remember this principle. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. What gets people in trouble most often in relationships? Pride. When they think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. He goes on to say, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, um, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then he gets into some more relationships, relationship issues. He says, let love be without dissimulation. What does that mean? Doesn't James address this idea? Not seeing the people that come in in the goodly apparel, as the King James puts it, and say, hey, you sit here. And you see the, the person come in with the rags and say, oh, no, we don't have room for you at the table. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. And part of the abhorring that needs to take place is the evil that resides in us. He says, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And then he says, distributing to the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless them which bless you, or bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give. Pl but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in, so doing, for in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you think that's a guide for relationships? It definitely is. I, I never looked at that passage as a guide for daily relationships until I studied for this lesson. I 
probably am guilty of often picking a verse out of that chapter and using it, maybe not even understanding the full context of it. But what's Paul saying? If, if we're going to live a life that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, and if we're going to live this way with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then this is the way that we live. These are the principles that we live out. And when we do, we will be that, that friend that gives life to another person, that we're that sweet ointment, that, that sweet perfume, that smell of grandma's cooking or Gina's chocolate chip cookies. And uh, when you smell that smell, it, it does something to you. And when, when we're that type of friend and when we have that type of friends, don't you think that life is going to be just a little bit more enjoyable? And so in friendships, we're called to be bold, to wound when we need to wound, not to be an enemy who gives false kisses, saying everything you're doing is good and right. You've got no flaws. You're perfect. But speaking truth when truth needs to be spoken and speaking truth how truth should be spoken with mercy and truth bound around our necks. We're to be that faithful friend who loves at all times, especially in times of adversity. If we look at the relationships God gives and we only enjoy the ones that are going well because they're not taxing to us, those aren't really relationships. To be there for somebody, as Paul says here, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, that's the measure of a true relationship. And then to be life-giving, to, to, to speak that hearty counsel, those words of wisdom, those words of kindness, those words that are going to push somebody to be better in their walk with the Lord rather than, than allowing them to stay stagnant. May, may we all strive to have these types of relationships. And so as we started today, the, the proverb we began with is Proverbs 3, to let mercy and truth be bound around our necks, to be written on the table of our heart so that we would find good favor with God and men. Do we understand that how we treat others, as we said this morning, is a reflection of how we understand God's treatment of us. If God has been gracious and compassionate and kind to us, shouldn't we then be gracious and kind and compassionate to those around us? Now, we all struggle in this. We all fail at this. But when we fail, what do we do? We get back up and start over again so that our relationships will mimic or model the relationship that God has with us. And he always keeps his end of the bargain when it comes to mercy and truth. So may we strive to do the same. We have got well, a couple minutes left. Anybody else have any thoughts on, on this idea of relationships? Um, any thoughts on the passages that we touched on? Or just any thoughts in general about the weather? Dave. Uh, I was thinking about the part of counsel. And um, to me, I think there's a difference there. We, we talked earlier about giving people the cookie even needs to be harsh instruction. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and I, I think it does carry that idea too of, of you can tell when somebody has your best interest in mind and their best interest in mind, right? If they're giving you advice and it seems very self-serving to them, um, maybe be slow to take that advice. But when somebody comes to you with a, an honest and, and genuine concern, um, then maybe it's wise to listen. There's, there's somebody in here tonight that spoke to me several times, not about anything I was doing wrong, just about something I should have been doing, and it wasn't even ministry-related, so don't even let your minds wander. But they came to me multiple times and said, hey, I have a, I have a concern for you, and it's something that I think you should consider. And finally, they came to me on the last time, and they said, hey, I, I'm, this is the last time I'm going to bring it up, but I, this is a concern that I have for you, and I think it's something you should really consider. And it took four times, but it finally got through my thick head and finally made a decision about the thing that they were, were talking to me about. And I'm thankful that I did. But our friendship, the person that was coming to me, our friendship wasn't made stronger or diminished by my decision based on their counsel, right? It, it was the same friendship regardless. They just had some insight into something that I should do that I hadn't been doing yet. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for their persistence. And that's, that's like what that verse is talking about, right? These are things you should consider. And I'm only saying it, why? Because I care for you. Because I love you. Any other thoughts? Yes, Michelle? Wait, should we, we haven't voted on your reinstatement of membership since you're visiting. Should we do that quick? <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Anybody else? All right. Who has work to do on their relationships? Better all put your hands up. We all do. Let's not be discouraged, but let's be encouraged that we actually have something to guide us in those relationships. That we're not, it's not a guessing game that we have to figure out on our own, but God has said, hey, this is good for you. Take, take advantage of these things that I have shown you in my word and live them out and your life will be better for it. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer and uh, we'll let you get home. It's not even raining. Bruce, you want to pray for us, please?